everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today, I have our guest, Arthur Castillo, and he's the Senior Manager of Field Marketing and Community at Chili Piper. Um, Chili Piper, a company we're super excited about at CS2. Uh, and full disclosure, we're a partner, but just if, I mean, if you're in the B2B world, then you probably know Chili Piper and they're changing the game of how we handle the inbound process. Um, and so today we're going to kind of dive into that and how to improve the velocity and conversion of your inbound process um, and kind of what that means in 2022 now and maybe how things have changed. Um, but yeah, welcome to the podcast, Arthur. It's so good to have you on. Thank you so much. This is, uh, I've, I've seen some of the guests you've had on Chrissy. So, um, excited to be mentioned amongst them and yeah, really excited for this conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I got connected to Arthur through, um, his sister, Jen, who also works at Chili Piper and is my amazing, um, partner contact there. And, um, I also just love that brother sister connection. Um, being a mom, I'm like, that's the sweetest thing I've ever seen, but <laughs> Um, but yeah, so shout out to Jen as well. Um, obviously a lot of talent in that family. So, but yeah, Arthur, uh -huh. <laughs> it would be good so to much. have you kind of kick off how you got into B2B. We always do a little bit of an origin story and it's always funny for marketing ops because they kind of fell into it, but I feel like that's a, you know, there's never a linear path into kind of what we do, but how did you get into B2B and SaaS and how did you make your way into field marketing and community? Yeah. Um, so I actually studied international development in university and very relevant know, end of graduate, <laughs> yeah, very relevant, super helpful in, uh, in my career here so far. And near the end of, I guess, starting to graduate, my parents freaked me out and they're like, what are you going to do? How are you going to make money? I'm like, I don't know. And at the time my dad actually switched from being an electrical engineer to selling to electrical engineers. Mm. And he loved it. And he was like, you know what? I think you'd be good at it. Um, I think you can control your schedule more often. You don't really know what, you, what to do. Why don't you try this out? So I started a non-traditional sales role as a financial planner. Oh, and okay. that was super interesting because we, so I feel like the playbook for early financial planners is basically go to friends, family, mm -hmm. aunts and uncles and say, hey, I'm starting to do this. Maybe uh, I can start managing your money. <laughs> for me, that was not the plan because I actually don't have any family in Canada. So it's just <laughs> me, Jen, another sister, Bella, and, and our parents. So couldn't use that playbook um, and had to go like cold outbound for a lot of things. So that was my first foray into cold outbound sales a lot of face-to-face -face meetings. And as luck would have it, I happened to be coaching soccer at the time. Mm. And I was coaching with, I believe he was employee number 13 at Vidyard. So he was a super early employee there. We got to talking about his sales process. And he was like, oh yeah, a lot of our clients are in California. It's like, oh cool, you must fly down there a lot. He's like, no, not really, just uh, through calls or, or video calls. Like that's how we typically close the deal. And at that point, it literally blew my mind because I thought every sale had to be like a handshake sale. Yeah. And, and I was like, you're doing this online? Like, this is pretty cool. And I think like two months after that, I broke into tech because I was like, this, is, this sounds pretty cool. Not everything has to be face-to-face. -face. So joined a company called Lone Wolf Real Estate Technologies, uh, Vista Equities-owned company. 
And that was my first uh, break into B2B SaaS. So that was very interesting, a whole different methodology, learn Salesforce, mm-hmm. all of that, very niched into the, the real estate industry. Um, and then from there, have really been in B2B tech ever since. I have, I moved on to automotive tech, got a chance to learn that space a little bit, um, moved into dentistry, got a chance to learn that space. And now here I am at Chili Piper, which is the first like industry agnostic company that I've got a chance to work for, which has been amazing because I get to meet people like you on LinkedIn and basically sell to sales and marketing um, people. Yeah. Um, How was that like when you first like got into the sales process on the B2B side? Like what would, what did you say was the biggest difference between trying to do that cold outbound, like on your own? Like, did you feel like there's just more, like less pressure? Did you feel like it was a bit like more structured? You felt like you had more support for marketing? Like what were some of the things that appealed to you? Yeah, a lot more structured. I feel like it, I guess based on what I was selling financial planning, it was very personal. Uh, Finances can be highly emotional. And I think this just felt more like business well business to business sales where it's like hey we have a product or service we're interested let's explore how this fits in so uh it did feel more technical definitely more structured i think that was the first time i even heard the word of like a cadence and how to structure my approach and getting access to like these different data points so it was cool i feel like i i learned sales um almost self-educational and this was the first time that i came in and they had onboarding and taught us how to use these tools that would save us tons of times in the manual outreach so it was it was definitely a huge change in terms of what i was used to uh and doing face-to-face sales and doing tech sales so then now you're like more on the marketing side doing field marketing and community how did that switch go from sales to that because I, I know you started in sales um at mm-hmm. chili piper as an ae but what kind of drove that switch to going into field marketing and now doing field marketing and community yeah so i know we were talking earlier i was like i still don't consider myself a marketer but <laughs> uh, the origin story was pretty cool in that it really started with a coffee chat with our former director of demand gen, Kaylee. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're probably familiar Kaylee with Kaylee. Kaylee Edmondson, right? Exactly. Not yeah, shout out to way. Kaylee. She's the best. Mm-hmm. 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 And yeah, so Chili Piper is always a remote company. So we try and uh, systematize these coffee chats. You can talk to people from different departments. And we so happened to get matched up. And I remember at the time, I think she had a post do pretty well. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to ask her all about her LinkedIn strategy. It's going to be amazing. And we hop on the call. And the first thing she asked me is, hey, you're killing it on LinkedIn. Like, how are you doing this? What are you doing? I was like, hmm, this is a little weird. So we just started geeking out over that. I told her how much I like marketing. And she was like, oh my God, like you really do? Um, and then she went to her VP of sales and was like, can I steal Arthur for like 10 to 20% of his time? I think we can use him on like certain marketing initiatives. And it basically turned on to like a full on recruiting effort over the next three months. Wow. And I was telling like, no, I want to be the like number one sales rep at Chili Piper before I move over. And it just became like, we definitely opened up lines of communication. They seemed like they knew I was going to be stepping into marketing role for the first time. And they wanted to create a position where maybe I could use my sales skills or my LinkedIn presence. Um, I also happen to be doing a lot in communities. And I think that was also a topic of discussion where they're thinking about 
potentially hiring a community manager. And they thought, okay, rather than maybe hire someone and implement them in this, this community, why don't we take somebody that's already considered a valued member and kind of give them some more roles and responsibilities. So yeah, I'd say after three months, um, we sort of settled on field marketing for some reason. And that was a, a pr pretty serendipitous moment. I remember reaching out to Nick Bennett. He was the only guy I heard talking about field marketing. I was like, tell yeah. me a little bit more about this. I think I'm interested. And the way he described it is like, you're almost the quarterback to the sales team. You mm -hmm. have to get them to the end line. You have to set up different plays, make sure everything's organized. And I remember telling Kaylee, I was like, Kaylee, have you ever heard of like field marketing? What are you thinking? She's like, that is so weird. I literally wrote a job description for your role today and I titled it field marketer. Wow. So we kind of just, yeah, it's from there, <laughs> um, seriously. So yeah, my team's been amazing in terms of putting me in a position of strength um, to use sales skills and different things like that and uh, really teaching me the ropes of how marketing works, uh, the different departments and everything like that. So I guess it all started with a coffee chat and here I am um, pretending to be a marketer, really <laughs> in a sales rep spotty. Well, I, I was saying, but like, I think there's a lot of similarities um, between like really good, you know, salespeople and marketers, a salesperson that leads like a marketer with value um, and helping the prospect is really successful. And the same thing with a marketer who has empathy for a salesperson and how to make their job easier is also uh, makes a good marketer. So it's there's a benefit to understanding both sides and you being an AE, you know, like what your AE really needs, which I think is just like a, mm -hmm. a really big value add to a field marketer to really understand like who they're supporting. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you see the same thing. I think that's what they saw in me as well. Um, and I think not, a, not enough marketers go further down funnel. I think a lot of the time they're mm -hmm. like, Hey, the meeting was booked that's good enough. Sales yeah. is up to you. And really understanding what it would take from like interest all the way through to customer. Um, I realized like it really does help and it gets me thinking more about the problems we solve versus like getting them maybe just interested or using some social proofs. I think that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is around like the inbound process and, and really like how do we make the inbound process from a customer experience um, and also for the sales team, like just a better process from velocity. Like how do we, you know, close those people who want to talk to sales um, faster and get a meeting booked faster um, all the way to understanding how do we maybe, you know, prevent, not prevent people from coming through in that process. who maybe shouldn't go to sales from doing that and giving them a good experience too, instead of just like, no one following up with them or ghosting them, which surprisingly happens a lot. Um, <laughs> so um, one of the things that we, um, you know, we had talked about uh, before this and what inspired is like the latest Chile Insights report. And that was all around kind of analyzing the inbound lead process. Um, mm -hmm. But before we dive into some of the data there, um, Chili Piper really is changing the way we optimize the inbound lead process, I, I think, and that's the value prop that we talk about with clients. But, you know, working there um, 
and like being an employee and being part of the community and really talking to your customers, like what do you see across your prospects or customers as like a true benefit that they're seeing for how they're improving their inbound process? Um, and like even some anecdotes is great. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we can even take a little bit of a step back and I can tell you about my first uh, interaction with Chili Piper. So oh, yeah. I actually tried to buy the tool at my last company Oh, okay. because what I noticed, I, I was basically experiencing the problem that uh, the biggest problem I think Chili Piper solves. And this is a silent killer to a lot of B2B organizations. And I think not a lot of people are aware this is, or they simply choose to ignore it and kind of go on um, however they've they've been structuring their inbound process. So we've seen across B2B tech, at best, um, only 40% of your inbound demo requests make it to first meeting with sales. Meaning 50 to 60% of the people that are saying, hey, I want to speak with sales, never do. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. They either get ghosted. There's a lot of friction in that marketing to, to sales handoff. And at the time, what I noticed selling to dentists was even if we were to respond within five minutes, we were still only converting about like 30% of our demo requests. Hmm. And I went into Rev Genius. This was just when they were starting out. And I was like, I'm struggling converting our inbound leads how are people handling this process or how do we get them into our pipeline quicker? And a couple of people had suggested Calendly, which, which is what we're using at the time. And then somebody mentioned Chili Piper. I was like, mm. Mm, okay, I've never seen this before. Um, shout out to Darren Fan. He was probably my first community friend. And <laughs> uh, he was like, hey, if you're open to it, I can give you a quick demo of how we use it. Sure, why not? talked me through it. I was like, this sounds awesome. He introduced me to his rep over at Chili Piper. And this is what got me where they said, hey, do any of these times work for a meeting? And they just popped in sometimes in the body of an email. Yeah. And the one time worked and I clicked and it was literally like a one click booking experience. They didn't ask me for like name, email, any of that. And I was sold right then and there. I was like, that is the smoothest booking experience I've ever had. I would love this for like dentist that I'm selling to. Like, this is really cool. And at the time, I think our our sales ops had taken like two months to integrate Calendly and HubSpot. So she's like, I don't want to hear it. We just got this process going. And I guess I said, okay, if we can't buy it, I'll join the company. <laughs> um, but it was cool in in that I had experienced the problem that I think we we solve for a lot of companies, which is that top of funnel friction of getting your highest intent leads into a meeting with sales. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so across our portfolio, we find that based, just giving them a smart calendar right after they fill out that form fill, which determines who we want to route it to, whether or not they're even qualified in the first place to show a calendar. Um, so that helps kind of the maybe eliminate the junk that we are sending to sales in a in a way and just letting them know right there after they submit a demo okay now i can pick a time where i know i'm going to speak with the sales rep from that company and we hear so many times from like chili piper customers of how they've won deals against their competitors because of this fact of like the competitor didn't reach out to them mm -hmm. they they went into google and searched company competitors found one one of them happened to be using chili piper 
they booked, I think, the same day. Um, and I this one story in particular, I guess they had some Sendoso integration set up where they sent him a $5 coffee gift card mm -hmm. 10 minutes before the meeting. And that prospect's response when he hopped on was, look, I have no business in being in this this demo with you guys. I knew the company that I was going to buy from. I still haven't heard from them, but you allowed me to schedule a time. You sent me an e-gift card 10, 10 minutes before this meeting. If your operations are that tight, I know you're the company for me. So imagine that. They're like already putting their best foot forward. They haven't even shown the product at all. And it was just because of that top of funnel experience where... A lot of time we're forcing people into that sales process first versus actually allowing them to buy how they want to. And it, uh, it really set, a, set up a good experience for them. Yeah, I think I love that you um, talk about this because I think people don't realize that how much of an impact that like first experience or that customer experience that even starts when they're a prospect really changes yeah. the mind of what they think their true customer experience will be like with you, like from the get-go. And so you could have like a really good post-sale experience or you could have like an amazing product, but like that first experience if someone's interested in you and how you handle that, like you said, they said, oh, if your operations is this tight, it means that they think, okay, well, if, if, you know, you're handling it this way, it means like, okay, well that my experience, you know, going into a sales process or even being a customer is going to be great too. And of course, there's a lot of different things that really like may not be true to that, but it it's a it's a good sign for them, and that can close deals. And even for for Charlie and I, and we might be biased because we're operations folks, but even when we go into like our personal life, and we're like, okay, well, you know, oh, this person had a, a you know instant booking process. They followed up with us. They sent us a, a you know. Uh, all the, like they got the information they needed from us up front um, to know that we were the right fit. That has like changed our minds and we'll, yeah, we're like, okay, I want to be a customer with them. And then even the same thing when we help our, our clients buy tech, like it's amazing too how sometimes we'll, we'll be part of that process, but companies don't understand. And then they just don't follow up with us and, and, and our team. And it's like, well, you just lost a deal now. Um, and so it's, I think, understanding like how to really get to um, like not putting too much disqualification in place, but really putting in the right kind and and just that inbound process like really, really matters from a customer experience. Um, so I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's now obviously I'm biased because I work for the company, but we just hear it time and time again. And I think the Amazons of the world and all this instant gratification has lent us to expecting something for yeah. when we finally do engage. And it's hilarious because I'm sure we've both been hit with a fair bit of cold outreach. So by the time we actually end up on the website and we ask to speak to sales, you'd think they pull out the red carpet, but I'm sure we're going to get into it in a second here. Um, <laughs> we did a, a Chili Insights benchmark report on average vendor response time and again, still a lot of friction there and not too much red carpet experience to the point where a lot of companies, I think, are are missing out on 50 to 60% of their inbound pipeline just from that. Wow. Yeah. Let's dive into that. What were, so, you know, the biggest thing that you saw was that, you know, like the, it's just, uh, you know, you did a, uh, a look at companies of different sizes and, and maturities mm -hmm. and, 
but you still found that, you know, that follow-up process, like, you know, had issues and the response time was really long. Um, what were some of the other things that surprised you, like as far as like the type of company or um, like the different results that you all saw? And and what, what do you think are, are some of the, um, you know, implications for that? Like, are these symptoms of something else that's happening? Yeah, um, a lot to unpack here. I think <clears throat> there's phenomenal insights in this article. So I think one of the first things that surprised me, at least, was in terms of company size, the one to 10 had a six minute average response time, which makes sense. They probably mm -hmm. have lower inbound. Yeah. Maybe it's going straight to the CEO. They're trying to find product market fit. That's good that they're responding. But the next category that had the best response time at 19 minutes was the 501 employees to 1,000, mm. which I thought that was super interesting. Um, so to kind of aggregate some of this data, what we found was close to 30% of people never responded to demo requests. Crazy. Yeah. Um, the gold standard, it seems, when we talk about speed to lead is responding in under five minutes. Yeah. We found that over 80% of companies took longer than five minutes to respond. So very hard to hit that gold standard still. 55% took over an hour. And I know there's been studies done on this where if you're responding um, longer than an hour, the chances of you getting on the phone or getting them into the pipeline, I think, decreased by like something like 20 times. So yeah. there's still a lot of friction in terms of how quickly we're getting in touch with these buyers. Um, and for us, we try and look at this idea of instant inbound and how many companies were maybe replying instantly or had frameworks set up that they could handle that. Only 7% of companies uh, we found responded instantly. So um, we kind of grouped them into across all of these company categories. What was the average response time? So we took out the ones that didn't respond. Um, so on average, it was three hours and 42 minutes. Not bad. We've seen a lot of stats out there that said something like 42 hours. Um, and then if we factor in all of the ones that didn't respond, it's around five hours. So again, if we're talking minutes to hours, it can make a difference. Um, <clears throat> what were some of the other things here? I think one in thing to point yeah. out too, like you said, the second best was that 500 and and to a thousand employees, but you jump from 10 employees to 500. So there's that gap in between of like, what's happening to those companies? But we know so many small business, or I would even say just startups like that still have that below. And to me, we talk to a lot of um, operations folks, but um, in some cases, I think a lot of um, those companies maybe haven't put a priority on like the customer experience or even the operations that it takes to improve that customer experience. So to me, that stands out. I'm like, oh, maybe that is like a symptom of that. And also understaffing the operations team that maybe can help like implement this, all these and, and also measure it like the velocity. They might not even have insight into what their velocity is. I think you're absolutely right. And I think you can when you look at the data and the average response times, to me, yeah, after that, so our next category is 11 to 50, and that average response time was two hours compared to the six minutes of one to 10. So 
even at that level, you're starting to see, I'm guessing you're absolutely right. They're starting to grow. They don't have an ops person in place. They don't, they quickly outgrow their process of, oh, Chrissy handled all the inbound leads. Now there's way too many. How do we start to disperse this? And how do we do it in an equitable way? Um, and I think this is funny because from 101 to 250, the average response time was three hours and 42 minutes. The next category, 251 to 500 employees, was one hour and 25 minutes. Mm. So I'm wondering if that's the time where they really start to hone in around their operations, marketing ops, rev ops of, hey, how do we start to optimize this process? Because that's a pretty, what is that, two, and a, two hours and 20 minutes that they're able to cut down their average response time. So to me, if I'm assuming, I think that's when like the ops starts to come into play and they really start to hone on their process. But you're going through quite a lot of stages before you get to that point. And I think the journey to scaling, you do miss out on quite a bit of opportunity of these high intent inbound leads. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that you mentioned was around like the buyer, like kind of expectations and comparing that to like the Amazon effect of like getting, you know, instant gratification. Um, mm -hmm. And I think marketers are going to have to start realizing that and like meeting, meeting customers for, you know, what they want, like, what are people looking for now? It's not the same thing of what they were looking for 10 years ago, um, from a customer experience. Um, but across the board or, or maybe what you think some like top B2B companies are doing, like what, what are they doing wrong for the most part? And then how does this impact their customer experience? Um, or what are some of the things that maybe was best practice before, but like really doesn't really hold up today? Yeah, um, I think it's a fantastic question. And I often look at this over segmentation of sales, which predictable revenue obviously was all the rage back in the day. But it was, I think the sales process has always been built around company needs. And we haven't really taken into account the customer experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really stuck with us in terms of how companies look at the traditional scaling model. Okay, we need to hire SDRs and AEs and yeah. oh, now our A's are too busy. So we need people to prospect, but we've never really thought about what is that effect on the customer journey? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things like <clears throat> when you ask me, what are companies doing wrong? I feel like we're still really forcing down our buyers, down our own sales process versus asking them where they're at in the journey and maybe mm -hmm. accelerating those that are already further down funnel because you mentioned 10 years ago there's i mean we still had a lot of information on the internet but if you look at how people are buying today with the rise of communities even how we use linkedin today it's probably a digital resume five years ago but now i can hop on and say chrissy like any any good partners you know that could help implement something like a chili piper Okay, now I'm asking you and you give me my short list. I can ask, I can pose the same question in communities. And that's really where the buying conversation is happening. Mm -hmm. Then maybe we take that back internally. We discuss, okay, we already know this is a problem. And by the time we reach out to the company, maybe one, they don't even respond. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to take you off our short list. Or two, the first call is with a very junior SDR that yeah. can't answer any of our buying questions. Mm-hmm. Yes. So think about that from a brand perspective and literally putting gates in front of buyers that are actually saying, hey, I didn't just wake up today thinking, you know what? I want a demo 
and I'm just going to submit this request. (laughs) I'm sure there's a little bit more thought that's gone into that. So by the time they reach your website, we don't want that first experience to be, hey, Chrissy, uh, and remind me again, do you have budget for this? Mm -hmm. And are you the authority? Are you going to be the decision maker? And please tell me, what's your timeline for purchasing? You're so far past that. You've already identified this as a problem. Why are we putting up gates? And I think that can actually... I know we're going to get into this probably later down the line, but this whole idea of speed to lead mm-hmm. and sure we're, we're trying to prioritize as much as possible and still room for improvement based on some of these numbers and chili insights. But how are we thinking about the value of that first brand touch where yeah. we've done awesome marketing up until then to the point where they said, yeah, you know what? You've gotten me to think about this problem differently. I want to explore more. And then we hit them with that first junior SDR call. Yeah, I I agree with you on this point. I've actually um, put some stuff out on LinkedIn about this before because I think um, I, I almost think of it as like monopoly, right? And you get you you're penalizing the prospect. You go, oh, go back four spaces, you know, and they're like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, but, <laughs> you know, why are you pushing me there um, when really they should get you know to go forward. And, and really, um, you know, get your product, like get them into the product. I think that's why maybe even an overreaction to some of this is, is people really like, oh, should we do PLG? Should we get our prospect directly into the product? And But that's a whole nother story. But that, that's a good process because we know we need to maybe meet buyers uh, where mm-hmm. they want to be. And that could be like, Hey, I don't need, I just need to kind of like use this for myself or see if it provides value. But outside of that, like, you're right. Like there's, there's so much of the buyer experience that they're just doing on their own. And so being able to like, you know, like you said, roll out the red carpet, give them a fast lane, like to, to sales makes sense. Like, it's just so frustrating. Like you said, you, you spend all this time trying to book with the SDR. And then when you do, you probably like are answering your own questions or they're answering, you're answering things that really like should be on that form process. I've talked about this in the past that some operators is like, how can, you know, everyone's so focused on forms, like, Oh, like, you know, I have forms on my content, forms on this, like let's ungate content and like, or let's reduce our forms to like one field. And it's like, okay, yes, that's that's fine for like content or events or something. But when it comes down to someone really wanting to speak with you, how do you find a good balance of getting the information that can make their buyer experience better? Um, but then also uh, meeting them, like saying, hey, we're gonna use that information Really, like we're going to send you directly to sales. You're going to bypass an SDR. They're going to know what your pain points are. They're going to know like mm-hmm. what your, you know, maybe your timeline is. And they're going to, you know, tailor their demo or whatever it is that you want to the meeting to those needs. And it just takes away like those, maybe even those initial steps, like your telephone call, your discovery call. And you could go down, you could basically bypass maybe three stages of a normal, typical sales process. Um, right within that first conversion. And so that's what I really see the value. Like you said, like it's, it's like you're really penalizing the prospect at that point. You're absolutely right. I, I think you said something that was super interesting and I think it's partly the reason why I started to think about moving away from sales to marketing is that now with the rise of these communities and, um, having direct access to our peers, 
I saw sales as having less of an influence on that buyer's mm -hmm. journey. Yeah. Like how I was thinking to myself as a sales rep, how do I be involved in some of these buying conversations within communities? How do I see what my buyer is asking, what's top of mind for them? Yeah. And then maybe using that back in the process. Um, so I think it's super interesting in that <clears throat> the way we're buying has completely changed, but the sales process we're still putting people down hasn't. Mm -hmm. And we really have to catch up to how people are buying now and change that. I think um, the over-segmentation of sales, we're going to start to see, I hope, a return to a full cycle sales rep because I know you're, so the original question was qualification on the form. The way I think about qualification is, can they buy from you? Mm -hmm. That should be the baseline. Do they have, so for us, we can only, we only work with Salesforce or HubSpot CRM. Mm -hmm. If they meet that qualification and they use those CRMs, you're going to speak to a sales rep. Mm -hmm. Now it's up to us to then figure out their use case and all of that. But what's the bear? Can they buy from you? I think that's what qualification should be. And can you ask that somewhere in the form? So at least you have a basis and you're not selling on, uh, you're not sending unqualified leads to sales. Right. You at least know they are the makeup of somebody that can buy. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the funny part where it gets to qualification because I think it becomes too much, too subjective. And like the sales rep almost has too much power where if they're not buying that month or in the next month, hey, they're unqualified. Mm. It's not the case. I think we have to start thinking more about short, medium and long term pipeline as a sales rep. So all of all of these thoughts were in my head when I was considering the switch to marketing because I saw how the buying process was already changing. I saw the rise of communities and I saw sales having less of an influence on that buyer journey. And if you didn't start to think more like a marketer in terms of short, medium and long-term pipeline and not disqualifying everything that wasn't immediately ready to buy, starting to nurture them. If you're not involved in these community conversations, if you don't have a good personal brand, I truly believe five years from now, you're gonna have a very tough time selling. Yeah. So yeah. part of it was like trying to get ahead of the curve. <laughs> I, the post I was alluding to on LinkedIn, I said, you know, SDRs are struggling so much these days with outbound and also, I mean, even inbound qualification. And why don't we rethink our SDRs who, you know, are just kind of like looking to get an entry in career, are looking for, they're good at connection. They're even good at using, better using these technologies and social media than, you know, their bosses. Why don't we leverage mm -hmm. that and make them evangelists? And because marketers and companies are like, oh, how can I boost our brand? How can I make sure we're top of mind for prospects? It's like, well, I'll say that them just being helpful in communities is probably going to get a way better response than you just cold emailing people and spamming them, you know, and it then 100%. gives them a true skill of really like connecting with people, understanding them, like having empathy for the buyer that could then make them a better full cycle AE, or they might go, Oh, I actually really like marketing. Like, I, you know, and maybe they do end up like you, like in field marketing and community. Yeah. And so I, I almost see that as like the future of an SDR team, because I mean, we have to be pretty, pretty clear here like when you're hiring people and your body's like that's a lot of dollars going into mm -hmm. we have we have clients with like 40 to 50 sdr sdrs mm -hmm. you know think about like the implications it's not on cheap them. it's yeah. not cheap and so 
but it doesn't mean that we do away with them. It's just maybe we change the, like what's expected of them. I think so. I think we're already starting to see the good reps recognize this. Mm -hmm. I think we're in this era of edutainment. It either has to be Mm. educational or entertaining. And if it's a mix of both, hey, you're going to stand out from the rest of the crowd. So I think the good reps are already doing this. They're blazing the path um, for others to to really start thinking about business development in a different sense of the traditional, hey, I have a product. Can I get this in front of you? And to your point, almost being more of a subject matter expert. Hey, I've heard other directors of demand gen mention this challenge specifically in so many different communities. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious, like, do you see that going on in your organization? And this is what they actually had to say about that. That sets the tone for an entirely different conversation. Hey, Chrissy, would you like to check out Chili Piper? How do I get 15 minutes on your calendar? Yeah. It's all about us versus how do we make the buyer the hero in their own journey Mm -hmm. and how do we share insights of we've probably spoken to more personas than they have so how do we share the insights from those conversations about the challenges what they've been able to do to solve those problems to me that's a much better first brand impression than how do i get you into meeting so to to circle back to this qualification i think one of the best examples i've ever heard um talked about is craig handy over at shopify And he does a lot of consulting on the RevOps side. And he said he was looking at one of his clients' uh, close one revenue for the past year. Mm -hmm. And he looked at it through the lens of their ICP disqualification. And if they were to use that, they would have disqualified 60% of their close one revenue. We have this obsession of, okay, let's qualify, let's qualify, let's make sure we're saving A's times. But I think a lot of the time qualification is about where we're at today and we never ask about where they're trying to get to Mm. and what even brought them in the first place. What if it's one tiny tweak that we can make to our product that they let us know, hey, we've tried everything. You're the closest that we've seen come to, but we just need this one tweak to this product and we can actually start using it for, I don't know, the financial services industry. Now you're listening to your customers. You just expanded your TAM to a whole nother industry. And guess what? If we were so firm on that ICP, we would have never got that insight. So my hope is that we start optimizing more for conversations than Mm. booked meetings and really understand the customer and the journey they're on. Because even if they're not qualified, we can start to think, hey, what the heck was the trigger that got them to come on the website in the first place? What are they struggling with? And maybe we take that information back to product. Craig Handy over at Shopify, they do an incredible job of this. even in their self-serve customer journey where they're always looking at how do we get users unstuck? So anytime where it seems like they have a pricing question, okay, let's route them to a pricing specialist. Or you know what? They have more of a products question. Okay, let's route them to a product specialist. So I think, again, rethinking the way we qualify, talking about maybe not where they're at today, but where they're trying to go to, I think that will help increase inbound pipeline. I think it'll make your sales team happier because now it's not just, hey, meetings booked and revenue. We're actually trying to learn more about that buyer and bring that back into marketing, sales, product, whatever it is. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, The last thing I want to end with um, is talking around kind of our metrics. And I know we talk about um, speed to lead and we've talked about on the podcast here and um, really how we can get 
you know, leads connected with sales um, faster. And that was part of part of the, you know, the report is, you know, improving that time. But, you know, from from your perspective, you say a North Star metric um, should be more around, um, you know, the lead to meeting booked. And, and what you're saying even before is like, it's less around these overall kind of like hand raisers and people that want to talk to you because yeah, there's going to be mm -hmm. ones that definitely aren't a fit, but it's real. And then there's ones that, uh, you know, really should have a conversation with sales. And I think for some marketers, we focus so much on like how many inbound requests are we getting? And how do we get that inbound request directly to sales? But it's, you know, less around how qualified was that um, hand raiser? And like you said, maybe not from an ICP perspective, but really like, was that person just junk that we could never sell to? And, and that happens, right? Especially once you start putting dollars behind your ads to try and get people to convert. But um, yeah, could you describe just a little bit around like the North Star metric that a marketer should have and like, why should they track it that way? And why is it better? Yeah, I think it, like a lot of it comes from speed to lead. And I think that's great if we're prioritizing the customer experience and getting back to them as quickly as possible. But I think a lot of it is looking further down funnel. I don't think your job as a marketer should be done by the time you get them just to meeting booked. You want to see, hey, did that lead actually show up to their meeting? Mm -hmm. Did it open up a next opportunity in the funnel? Starting to look at how many meetings maybe it takes for you to close even based on source. So you can really double down on what's already working for you. But I think the biggest thing is just the buyers are always looping. There's a ton of things they're always trying to do and something might be super important to them at the time. And then maybe next week it's not all of a sudden. So mm. how do we get them into that first meeting while it's still a priority for them yeah. and they're still thinking about it? Because if we do give them that time to maybe forget about the problem, they are going to move on to putting out another fire. So striking while the iron is hot. And I think the other side is actually giving them what they requested, which is to speak with somebody that can actually answer their questions on maybe price, on product differentiation, on giving them a demo. Mm -hmm. What we see is that, <clears throat> uh, I know Chris Walker did an experiment on this as well, where he had 10 different SaaS products he wanted to buy. I think three right off the gate got X'd out of the process because it was too hard to schedule something. Mm -hmm. Every other call was with an SDR that couldn't answer his pricing questions, couldn't mm -hmm. answer anything about the product. All they would keep repeating saying, hey, that's a great question. I'll put that down for, for my AE. Yeah. And then they book it with the AE and the AE says, oh, a demo? Hold on. I need my sales engineer here. So it we're getting to the point where it's yep. like we're slowing down the buyer and their momentum and the problem that they want to solve. So I think meeting booked is is a great North Star metric because marketers do have to look at the, the entire customer journey mm -hmm. and start to see where is that drop off and, hey, out of every meeting we booked, how much is dropping off? Mm -hmm. We know that it's typically 50, 60%. And I don't know how you're going to, especially if you're tied to revenue, how you're going to hit your goals if 50 to 60% of your inbound pipeline is leaking. Mm -hmm. So to me, it gives you more of a look into the entire customer journey and not just saying, hey, we got them to our website and we got them to fill out a form. Now it's up to you, sales. We want to see, okay, are they actually making it into our pipeline? 
and then trying to study and go backwards of like, hey, out of everything we sent your way, which ones actually went all the way through to close one? So I think it's a better metric to understand, okay, are these people actually meeting with our sales team? Are they moving on to the next steps? And starting to understand where maybe your best buyers come from. Totally. Yeah, I think your point too of looking at the meetings booked, but then also like not just what, what how, you know, how many are booked, but like what are the results of that? How many like reschedules are you even doing? Um, and um, I mean, just having the process with Chili Piper of like the prospect being able to even try and reschedule quickly themselves is a better process than what happens now where then they go, oh, I can't go to that. I'll have to like message this person. Then they come back to me with different time. Oh, yeah, I need me to talk to my salesperson. And it's just like so much time back and forth. And you're like, by that time, like they've probably already moved on. It's almost like the hiring process these days. Like you need to act fast. You need to be timely or else you're just going to lose an opportunity to your competitor. Seriously. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a great example because you hear people where in three interviews, they already know, okay, this is a great person. And then another company is still trying to schedule out the second step. Yeah. Okay. Like <laughs> I need to get back to this offer. Um, otherwise, like, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> oh, hi, doggy. <laughs> we never have enough uh, cameos from people's pets on the podcast. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Hopefully uh, it wasn't too loud on your end. No, it's not loud at all. Um, I, I like that. But I think this is a great conversation, Arthur. I think for I, – I love how many times you said the word rethink. Um, and that's a true sign of a good marketer. I mean, it's just a good practitioner in general is like rethinking the ways that we do things, especially based on your company and, um, just knowing that the buyer's expectations are changing. And even just the pandemic itself has like massively changed the way we work, the way we make decisions, yeah. the way we connect with folks. And so this is the time we have to rethink all of these things and that will, you know, that inbound process. Hey, as much as we want to talk about how, how hard outbound is, well, if you do get people inbound, you better be converting them. Right. And so that can be your, you know, your response to that. Um, and so I think, um, this is a super valuable topic for any marketer, um, or head of marketing to listen to. Um, and so, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to the, um, the insights report in the description so folks can dive into that. And then we'll share Arthur's, um, LinkedIn profile so you can connect with him. He's always sharing some great content on LinkedIn, but anything else that you want to do a shout out for Arthur? Um, no, shout out to every marketer that's tying themselves to revenue. I think you are going to have such a distinct advantage, especially with the way things are changing. Um, I think if you're a marketer that's only delivering leads, you are quickly going to get left behind. And I think the more you have shared KPIs with the entire revenue org, going to work better with sales. Uh, the bottom line numbers are just going to look better. So um, shout out to marketers that tie themselves <laughs> to revenue. I think you are the the future of marketing. Oh yeah. Amen. I love that. Um, you, I'll just bring you on and, uh, you can be my hype person on calls with clients when I have to describe that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to end the, the podcast and hopefully everyone kind of takes that as a, as a, you know, into your day and really think, cause sometimes it's even just hard to 
sometimes even when you are focused on revenue, you you need to step back and really say, oh, what am I doing that really impacts revenue and the customer experience right now? If it doesn't do any of those, it's probably not where my time should be going. So, um, but yeah, thanks, Arthur. Um, it's so good having you on. And for everyone who enjoyed this episode of Forward Thinking, feel free to uh, give us a review or share it with your colleagues and friends. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Thanks so much, Chrissy. Thank <laughs> you.